Hello and welcome to the Food Climate Podcast. I'm Guillaume, your host, and each week, I'm fortunate to share with you stories from climate tech founders, investors, and corporations sharing their unique insights into this fast-moving industry. Eventually, like me, you will learn, discover, and get inspired by those unique men and women who are contributing to the fight against climate change, and I hope it will help you to take a step in this formidable movement. So before we start, I just want to share a few words about us as this podcast is just the tip of the iceberg of what we do at Startup Basecamp to support climate tech movement. Our mission is to accelerate capital deployment towards climate tech founders, allowing them to focus on scaling their solutions. How do we do that? Every day, we help founders access to resources and connections and gain the visibility they need to expand their growth. We do this in a number of ways with a membership platform, a Slack group with a growing number of founders, investors, and experts from around the world. And recently, we went one step further with a matching services to connect founders with top climate tech investors. Keep in mind that we are able to do all of this thanks to the support of our listeners and our members. Please like and subscribe share one episode with a friend, join a community, and if you haven't already done so, make a small donation to support our work. It really means the world to us. And now, enjoy the show! Hi everyone! In this new episode of Investor Series, I'm sitting down with Fabi Wong, an investment partner at Amazon Climate Pledge Fund, $2 billion fund focused on sustainability and climate change. Their goal is to help Amazon and their climate pledge signatories achieve net zero carbon emission by 2040 through investments in various sectors like transportation, food, circularity, data centers, manufacturing, materials, and nuclear fissions. Herbie has been involved in climate tech investing for the past 12 years, backing over 30 companies, three of which have become unicorns. Herbie's passion for sustainability was sparked while witnessing pollution and smog in Asia was growing, which motivated her to pursue a career in climate-focused fields. Herbie has a background in material science, engineering, business and environmental engineering and has worked in various roles before becoming an entrepreneur and investor in the climate tech space. In today's episode, Fabi discusses the impact of data center and e-waste focusing on greenhouse gas emissions and the importance of finding alternative more sustainable solutions, especially moving on into the AI era. Fabi also tells us about development and innovation and chip design, cooling techniques, and energy storage to reduce energy consumption. We discuss the urgency for self-regulation by big tech companies and the need for circularity and recycling in data center. The second part of the show, Fabi gives her advice on the best way to catch an investor's attention with your pitch tech and the importance of building a support system. Fabi also shares how she navigates a healthy work-life balance with two school-age children. Fabi, welcome to the show. Hey, hi, Fabi. Welcome to the Tech for Climate podcast. I'm super happy to have you here with us today. I'm looking forward for the great, this great opportunity to hear your story and get up to speed on what you guys are looking at with the Amazon Climate Pledge Fund, a $2 billion venture investment program supporting the development of sustainable technologies and services that will enable Amazon to meet its net zero carbon goal. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, uh, Guillermo. This is like a really fantastic uh, opportunity to be on your podcast. So thank you. It's such a pleasure. I'm very excited to, uh, to hear more about, uh, about your story. So uh, before we start, that's the tradition on the show, uh, we'd love to hear a 30-second introduction about uh, the fund that you work with. So can you give us a 30-second intro about the Amazon Climate Pledge Fund? 
Absolutely. So uh, I'm an investment partner at the uh, Amazon's Climate Pledge Fund. Uh, we are a $2 billion fund focusing on sustainability, climate change, et cetera, and really helping Amazon and our Climate Pledge signatories, which are like 400 plus companies that join us uh, for the pledge, basically helping everyone to decarbonize their operations and then get to the net carbon zero goal by 2040. Um, so areas that we have um, been interested in expanding, uh, continue to invest in uh, are transportation and mobility, uh, food and agriculture, circularity, um, building. We look at a lot in uh, currently like a data center uh, technology now is uh, we, we're going to dive deep to. Uh, we also look at um, manufacturing and materials uh, and also you know, nuclear fission. So let's start from the top. Uh, as uh, you probably know, on the show, we uh, love to put uh, the human at the center of the of the conversation. Uh, and for us, it's uh, always more important than uh, all the you know the work related uh, topics there. But uh, at first, can you tell us a bit more about your personal story and background? I mean, what are you passionate about? What do you do besides working on supporting investing in uh, ambitious founders? I mean, what makes you feel inspired or like your best self? As I always ask, who is Phoebe? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, this is probably my favorite question. <laughs> um, yeah, so I've been um, doing climate tech investing in the past 12 years and the numbers counting. I've invested in over 30 companies and then uh, knock on the woods, three unicorns coming out. So um, it has been a tremendous um, journey for me. And uh, all started like when I was still a student because my my parents, both of, both of them are engineers and scientists. And especially my mom, like kind of we growing up in Asia and seeing the smog and the pollutions firsthand um, and kind of drilling down in my mind that um, in the future, uh, I would like once I grew up, I would be um, doing something climate tech and uh, sustainability focused. So I did like material science engineering and then I also uh, minored in business and environmental engineering and really kind of set up that foundation. And then after that, did a bunch of different things It kind of did not start the VC job immediately, um, as most of VC did. So I did a couple of years as a chemical engineer and a couple of years as a chemical uh, conductor engineer. So doing like IC designs and um, if you see people like in the uh, wafer and clean room and also like in the jumpsuit, that's uh, uh, that's a couple of my my years time. So um, and then after that, I kind of fast forward, um, did a couple of financial institutes jobs like it did uh, come out trading with city commodities and investment banking. Uh, and then later on, started my own company in the like marketplace uh, space in Silicon Valley. And that was quite a really uh, interesting journey and uh, gave me a really good uh, mindset of being an entrepreneur and how to uh, work with entrepreneur and specifically like female founders, which is also another initiative that I'm leading uh, these days. So um, yeah, so I would always tell people that I'm engineer by trade, uh, by training, but uh, yeah, entrepreneur and uh, investor by trade. And I heard on, on top of that, you're also a, a busy mom. So congratulations for doing all of that and at the same time uh, having, a, having a family. So uh, yeah, tell us absolutely. a bit more about this, uh, this experience. And, and, and maybe, you know, that, that could be a, a good uh, quick segue here. I mean, you're mentioning about your initiative for, for yeah. women as well. Like, I mean, what would you recommend maybe to, to, to women, you know, like on the one side who have like a active and, uh, and exciting careers and at the same time uh, an exciting family? How do you uh, combine, uh, combine both? Yeah, so that's a question that I got asked a lot about my mentees actually actively mentor uh, like so far, probably close to 100 uh, like uprising uh, women. And it's a... Uh, it's always like because for women you have this biological clock, right? If you want to start family, you want to start uh, like in that specific window. Um, but I think nowadays there are a lot of different like means for um, people to go around it, right? Uh, like if you want to start a family, there are different ways to do it. Uh, freezing being one, I know that a lot of uh, my peers um, and it has been like a really popular solution and kind of postpone your biological clock. Um, but in general, um, I think 
um, people don't usually ask men about like how you balance family and work, right? So I think getting a lot of buy-in from the society and from your workplace and also from your partner is really important. Um, and also I think for, for female, uh, we are actually in one of the best times. So think about um, the uh, the time um, before when women cannot even allow for vote. And now like people are sitting, women are sitting on the board, uh, at the board. I have a lot of great mentors like Jennifer, um, Jennifer, who is the head of DOE, um, is one of them, and Megan Sharp, like who's now leading the uh, like uh, the um, decarbonization partner, which was kind of co-founded by uh, Tamasic Holding and uh, BlackRock. So these are like a fantastic women that you can look up to. Um, that to me, like I, I feel tremendously grateful. So I'm also trying to. Um, like a, bring the baton to the next station and try to support the rest of the female founders and even female investors. Um, on the female founders side, um, I want to highlight that we uh, at Amazon, we have the female founder initiative. So that's $50 million that we're doubling down into the female founders, uh, especially at the C stage, where we think majority of the uh, female founders do not have the supporting system compared to the male counterpart at that stage. Um, so think about um, like think about the capital and role model, right? So when women first started off uh, as a graduate from the STEM program, and by the way, like uh, last year, uh, we are achieving like 44% STEM graduates that are female in US. And so um, there's really no pipeline issue in terms of like a bright young minds uh, trying to start a company. Um, but the VC investment kind of going to female funded company that are staggering 2%. So basically you have 44% uh, of the uh, like a bright young minds that are female, but only kind of uh, like uh, a fraction percentage point are being funded. So what we think is a strong role model is important. So we are um, building out a community uh, in the Amazon environment and then in the broader e ecosystem so that women can look uh, them up to. Um, so good example would be like Genesis founder Luna Yu and then also Zero Avia co-founder uh, Katia. So these are like a hard tech uh, female founders and also like uh, they have their own um, life and family, right? So it's it's important to, to let, the younger generation know that this is something doable. And then two uh, is probably the critical one is the capital wise. So that's why we put the money where our mouth and where we think the most important things are. So really kind of focusing on um, female founders and help them bridge from the, just a concept MVP to commercialization. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing all of that and for all the women who are listening to the to the show. Uh, definitely, uh, there, there's a, a lot to be uh, inspired from uh, from you and from, uh, you, know, you know, like pushing this uh, this kind of initiatives uh, and, and really like uh, carrying it. I think it's uh, it's super important. And, uh, and and by the way, on our side, we also do like on a quarterly basis, uh, a review of uh, amazing women in uh, in climate tech. And we did like uh, eight, uh, eight different uh, release of like 20 women. Uh, so we'll uh, we'll keep doing that because I think uh, women needs uh, need voices uh, from the women's side, but also on the men's side. I think that's uh, also something uh, super important. So let's go back to uh, to, to the uh, here the, the your journey a little bit on the the work experience, and you already uh, shared with us like this uh, this journey. But could you maybe like uh, share with us? one or two pieces of, uh, of experience in a way that gave you an edge to join uh, the Climate uh, uh, Pledge Fund uh, as, a, as a partner? Uh, so like advice around like how to get into the climate tech investing? No, like nature. literally like, you know, if you reflect and step back and look at your own personal journey, uh, what mm -hmm. would you identify as a one or two, uh, you know, uh, piece of experience or things that you learn along the way that in a way oh, give yeah. you an edge to, uh, to join the, mm -hmm. uh, the fund and, uh, and really thinking, okay, that's really useful. Uh, and that uh, allows mm -hmm. me to uh, be where I am uh, today. Yeah, so I think the first one would be the technical training. So um, like right now, the most of the companies that I'm uh, investing in and looking at are the deep tech companies. 
uh, think about founders who are PhD students, right? And uh, like long-term research and uh, multiple grants and patent holder. How are we, uh, how are you going to connect with them and then be able to understand their thought process, uh, the technology that they have, and then more importantly, how valuable is the technology, how to read a patent? So I think that early on my training, like as an engineer, and then being like a, a couple of years, like really work as an engineer, uh, helped me build that mindset to be able to bridge that like uh, from investor, but then when you're doing your due diligence and then initial thesis uh, development, that is really helpful. Um, and then I think, especially I'll take the data center, for example, um, earlier in my career, that was like in, in the 2000s, right? So uh, semiconductor was uh, something that um, still like there are a lot of frontier technology being involved over there. I was able to like work on the ground floor as an engineer and really kind of put it on the chip on the PCB board. Those kind of uh, hands-on, um, like hands-on experience is very helpful for me to understand now like what what are the uh like the fundamentals of the data center uh what are the key technologies that we actually need to build in and how realistic uh is the implementation so those are very helpful and that comes with the training with the experience um and i would highly recommend uh that if you're thinking about like if there's any audience that are in the space right um if they're in school uh get some technical skills if you're an econ major get a like a technical minor and vice versa i think that's that's helpful uh the second piece would be my uh, entrepreneur journey so my startup was a completely different space uh, at that time i was trying to solve my own problem so it's like um marketplace for uh, child care but even for that, uh, I went through incubator. I went through the Skydeck uh, incubator, which uh, like was sitting in Berkeley. Um, and then I went through the fundraising process and uh, did like the uh, find the co-founder, build the team, and do the marketing, build out the website and web. So uh, web app. Um, and then that is a very good experience. Um, and um, despite like some people will succeed, right? And most people will fail. But even like if your journey did not go to the direction that you anticipated, you actually harvest a lot of like knowledge and experience that are really valuable. So think about now when I talk to founders, I have this like tremendous um, respect to them because they're wearing so many different hats. They're like doing multiple things. They're working like probably 200% of their time and still trying to raise a, a family or uh, plan to raise a family, right? So that's um, very, very like highly respectable to me. And then um, also being able to guide the founder and um, be as their true partner, like most of my founder uh, and even companies that I no longer sit on their board, they would kind of come over to me for advice, etc. I think that kind of camaraderie um, experience or relationship really comes from um, something like because I either like um, be a, a founder before or worked in a startup. I think those experiences would be really helpful in resonating with founders. Yeah, definitely. And I think sometimes, uh, I mean, uh, based on what I heard and some personal experience, uh, some, you know, investors and VCs that are uh, just jumping out of, uh, uh, you know, uh, finance or, or like uh, or graduate from a, a MBA or whatever, who didn't get this uh, old journey and resiliency and in a way suffering, getting all the different hats can forget a bit about like, uh, you know, what it really means to be uh, to be a founder. But anyway, besides the point, I think it's time to dive a little bit into uh, this uh, topic that we decided to cover together. Uh, impact, mm -hmm. the impact of the of the data center and e-waste in the era of AI. Why does it matter in the context of the fight against climate change today? So maybe you can start by giving uh, the audience uh, your overview of the, the current situation in terms of the impact that the data center at large have in terms of uh, their contribution to GSG emissions, the trends and the projections uh, in the near, near future based on, you know, this growing demand uh, for computing power. Uh, I mean, this will help uh, the audience to understand a bit uh, better the magnitude of the challenge here. Uh, so if you can, you know, share some, uh, some data points there. Absolutely. 
So I think most of our audience are very familiar with ChatGPT. I think that uh, elevate the awareness of AI, especially generative AI, and then the uh, large language model, which is kind of the model supporting that and the foundation model. So in the past year, it has been quite a journey for AI. So uh, OpenAI rolled out the ChatGPT and we have um, like our kind of counterpart, Google has their BARD ad engine. And then last month, and then like in June 2023, right? So last month, May, we actually roll out uh, Amazon's equivalent of what we call Bedrock project, which is a foundation model as a service. So we collaborated with all the top uh, AI companies and really provide the services to the AWS customers. Um, so if you're looking at all these kind of AI generated activities, Data center cannot be out of the picture because this is really where the, all the compute uh, took place. Um, so just give uh, the data for last year. Uh, we are, um, so according to uh, many of the different research angles, like it's approaching like $300 billion uh, just annually for uh, in terms of market size for data center. And then it's going growing, um, I think right now um, is the number <laughs> is going to be a lot more, right? Last last year, I think people were expecting that 15% a year over year growth. But if you see kind of the chart of how people use the, um, like, use the generative AI tools, I think uh, it's not going to be surprising that it go like up to um, like a high two digits growth. So that all comes into the driving force of um, the hyperscale um, data center. Um, maybe you kind of take one step back on the data center, like there are several kinds of data center. Um, you have kind of co-location data center, which is like you co-locate, you have different uh, customers within using the same data center, but you kind of rent out the different server and racks. You also have hyperscale uh, data center or hyperscaler. Uh, these are like a gigantic data center that has like thousands of servers and uh, like uh, usually in the pretty remote uh, area. You also have like a smaller size of data center called the edge data center. And then that those are usually uh, more modulated is in a smaller scale and closer to the customer so that the computer reaction time uh, would be shorter or latency would be lower. So, um, and then you have like a bunch of others which are like more uh, kind of different types of it. Uh, those are uh, co-locate uh, co or colo, uh, hyperscale or hy hyperscaler. And then uh, the edge, these are the main uh, three ones. Given the rise of generative AI, we see a huge spike in the hyperscaler. So we probably will see a lot more like a super large uh, data centers being rolled out in the future. And then also like the GPU content will be majority of these uh, data center. So I would call this kind of data center 2.0. Because in the past decades, we're really focused on like data center 1.0, which is focused on the cloud computing, right? It's not like a hyper, uh, yeah, um, like super high compute density. And you're not looking at AI and large language model, which are like, you know, getting like huge number of uh, inferences and tokens. So, um, yeah, so that kind of comes to the, uh, like, the impact of the environment, because I think most people know that um, data center needs a lot of space. It needs a lot of like different, like you need memory, right? you need storage, you need compute uh, devices, you need like even batteries to uh, support as a secondary power solution. But most people don't know is the data center consume a ton of energy and the energy actually do not only go into compute, but also go into cooling. So if you have like, maybe this is like a chip 101, uh, it's like when you do um, performance on the transistors on the chip, it actually generates a ton of energy and a ton of the energy actually was um, uh, released in the form of heat. Um, so I think in the current majority uh, data center, they're be being cooled by air. So it's called air cooled um, in relation or uh, in comparison to like a more frontier technology that are like a liquid cooling and uh, like some immersion or on the chip cooling, which we will dive deep a little bit later. Um, but for most air cooled data center, we're looking at uh, like 43% of the energy being consumed are 
um, go into the cooling. So it's going to H5, going to H, uh, AC condition, uh, air conditions, and to really reduce the temperature of the data center. That is a huge amount. So uh, to put that into kind of layman terms, right? So if you're looking at potentially a, a typical data center, um, it actually consumes like 5,000, uh, equivalent of like 5,000 households uh, energy consumption. So uh, it's a huge amount of energy going into that. And if we can actually reduce the amount of energy, um, and we know that if we can reduce the energy to compute, but if we can reduce the energy to um, to the cooling side, it actually is very uh, significant. It's like 43% of reduction of energy going to data center. So that's something that I um, feel very strongly around, uh, about. Um, and we can obviously talk about e-waste and other, uh, like a secondary power provider a little bit later, but I think the energy consumption is a huge one. And um, yeah, uh, I'm looking for solutions around it. Yeah, and that's, uh, I mean, that's tremendous amount of uh, energy that is uh, required. And do, do, do you have like trends in terms of like, uh, what would be like this uh, increase of uh, energy demand, uh, you know, based by this, like, uh, I would say like, uh, uh, pushed by this uh, uh, increase of uh, hyperscale or 2.0 uh, data center that you were uh, mentioning. Is any projection already uh, available uh, or... Uh, it's still like a little bit too early uh, as of uh, for now. You were mentioning, I think, like 15% growth uh, year to year or something like that? Yeah, so that was uh, even before the uh, the generative AI hype, right? So I think now if you're thinking about how many people have uh, the ChatGPT downloaded in their app, it's, it's huge. So um, I... I'm not surprised if uh, we are looking at data center being one of the main force in the future that drives the energy consumption. And um, yeah, trend-wise, um, I think even like, um, I think compared to last year, right, the amount of compute and computing power going to the system um, because of the ChatGPT, because of the Bard and um, Bedrock project and Amazon, um, it's, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, yeah, I'm not surprised if it like a double or triple. So just to, uh, you know, close a little bit, like to really understand the, the, the full context here and before diving into uh, uh, emerging solutions uh, in itself, uh, looking a little bit at the, the, the market forces, I mean, uh, how is the, the, the current data center market currently organized? I mean, where are the main uh, site located? You are mentioning like remote and especially for like probably the hyperscale one uh, for like, like and definitely kind of like uh, smaller ones, but uh, where are the main one, the main, uh, I would say energy consumer, are they connected to the grid or is it like uh, uh, mm -hmm. energy, uh, you know, um, renewable energy port uh, data center? Um, I mean, who owns them and in a way, What's the motivation uh, or incentives for those major players to adapt their operation with a more sustainable approach? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so right now, most of the data centers are connected to the grid. Uh, some data centers, um, because it requires a lot of uh, power, requires a lot of water uh, for the cooling and for other purpose. So you see a lot of like data center actually being um, placed like a coastal. Um, but I think as we progress, uh, we will see more data center in the like more central locations. Um, and some data center actually are able to um, get into like renewable power, like if it's adjacent to a windmill, uh, even like offshore wind, if it's like by coastal, it's uh, easier for, for that. So in Amazon, we have achieved like 85% renewable power, um, and that's um, very significant. Obviously, we're moving towards 100%, but again, that is like the long duration storage is important, right? We need to make sure that we are able to use the renewable power uh, when the wind is not blowing and the sun's not shine, shining. So that's also something that we're uh, looking at very significantly. Um, and then in terms of the major player, um, so you have all the, the top names, right? Amazon, AWS, uh, Microsoft, Google, Cloud, IBM. Uh, you also have like a smaller ones like uh, Equinix, um, like a digital reality and TT communications, Cisco. Um, yeah, so there are a ton of um, data center providers. Um, so these are kind of the their main job or their main business is actually uh, building the data center and provide to others as a service. 
you also have the more like independent data center operators. So these are something that people probably don't think of. Uh, hospital, universities, colleges, and some research center like national labs, some of them have their own like small scale data centers so that they can process their uh, data. And then some sometimes like it is private, right? You don't want to like use the third party services, et cetera, like some some. Uh, organizations that would be um, in that category. Um, but most of those categories are not going to be like your hyperscalers. These are going to be like more modulated edge-based data center. Well, thank you so much, Noah. I think we, we get a better understanding of the of the overall context here. Uh, let's go a little bit deeper into the low-hanging fruits in terms of uh, alternative and solution to, uh, in a way to help to clean up uh, those uh, data centers. Uh, so clearly, based on uh, what you mentioned pr uh, previously, uh, the energy consumption, uh, heating, uh, cooling, uh, mainly are the, the, the two uh, main drivers uh, behind the impact that those data centers can have. So maybe speaking about the, the, the future of the data center and the emerging alternatives to uh, those you know, traditional uh, solution uh, and based on your understanding of the opportunities that, you know, greener data centers can represent as a, as a market, if you could put maybe pinpoint like few uh, upcoming uh, innovation mm -hmm. that uh, that you have seen uh, without the need of naming anyone, but uh, that can really, uh, and maybe some companies that you guys invested or some companies that you think that could really solve or bring a solution uh, for uh, organization while managing those uh, those data center with the lens mm -hmm. and the scope of uh, energy and uh, and cooling. Yeah, um, so I think the chip design is definitely the first one, right? How you can get a more efficient chip uh, and be able to process uh, as much information as possible. Um, so we actually see a lot of like different AI chips these days. Um, and if you're thinking about uh, right now, most of the ecosystem or most of the um, like the programs are still built on NVIDIA's chip, uh, which is really good. They build a really good ecosystem. But for the industry to be like uh, healthy, you need to have multiple uh, suppliers, right? So we are also looking at um, interesting uh, AI chips and how we can implement that internally. Um, so that is one. And two, as uh, as I mentioned, the cooling is one of the biggest one, how we can reduce the cooling. So uh, I'm looking at a lot in the air, uh, like probably not air cooled, if, uh, unless it's like super innovative and different way of doing that. Because right now, vast majority, like I think 90% or 99% of the data center are air cooled. Um, but we're like looking at liquid cooling which is like using liquid to kind of have the circle circular process and uh, remove the uh, remove the um the heat out of the system but then also kind of on chip cooling uh which is to a different extent and you can do that as this uh, submersion um cooling or on the chip design so i think those are a lot of like innovations around that and we are looking at companies in that space um, and then the third part would be like the battery or like, as I mentioned, long duration and the secondary uh, power provider. If you go to a data center, you will be able to see like uh, you have like racks of uh, servers and um, one main component and most of the data center would have is the secondary power provider. And many of the data center right now are using lithium ion batteries, uh, which is very good, um, but it's expensive and then energy density is actually pretty low. So we're also looking at how we can have like a long duration uh, storage um, to one harvest the renewable power, but also provide us a, um, like a secondary power solution for data center. So that that is one. Um, and as we moving into the second generation of data center, we move to like greener data center. Um, inevitably, uh, the first generation of data center, if they are like 10 years old to 20 years old, many of their devices are no longer usable. So uh, we're identifying methods of like how to solve the e-waste, how we create a circularity within the data center. So think about how to um, like better Dissemble a hard drive in so that we can still harvest the chip, like uh, the, the chip uh, energy, uh, the memory storage, 
uh, devices out of that instead of just toss and thr- uh, shred uh, the whole uh, device. So that's something that we're very actively looking at, uh, how to reduce the e-waste and how to like reuse, repurpose the materials over there, given that there's a huge shortage of um, many of the rare earth elements. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So zooming out a, a little bit, so, so according to you, I mean, which part of the data center value chain uh, in, in itself sounds to be very difficult to, uh, to decarbonize? Do you see like places or spots where, uh, unfortunately, um, uh, because you, you, you mentioned all of those innovation that you see, uh, maybe something that you just didn't speak and you can just uh, give that uh, for the audience here. I mean, what is the uh, improvement percentage in terms of energy consumption that uh, in average you are looking at and what is reachable and what is in a way uh, impossible to mm-hmm. achieve uh, as the, the, the zero percent in itself or 100 percent efficiency uh, probably is just a, a theoretical number. You know what I mean? Are we talking yeah, about real deep it. solution that really will create a change or we try to improve, but the incremental is like five, 10% at the time is going to take a, a, a long time to go. Uh, you know what I mean? And then maybe you can tell us yeah. like in that value chain, where are the difficult points where it's really, really complicated yeah. to, uh, to change. Yeah. So that, that could be a whole, like a one semester course, uh, but I'll just okay. give you the highlights. We'll try to keep um, it uh, <laughs> sweet. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because but this is a really good question. I'm glad that you asked. Um, so one sector that I have not touched point would be the building side. And building being like um I think the top one of the top three embodied carbon and could and potentially be a carbon sink a solution, right? So that is one sector or one area that uh, we think there could be a huge impact for a data center too. So think about um like the size of data center and especially the hyperscaler uh, data center these are huge size that would require uh, thousands and, and uh, like millions of tons of concrete and cement and how are we able to build uh, the data center in the greener uh, form so we have uh, in our portfolio and we can name names because they're in our portfolio um we have like a carbon cure and a brimstone uh, which are like a carbon neutral and carbon active um, concrete and cement solutions uh, we are also looking at potentially like a 3d um printing etc like these are like innovations that can reduce the um like manpower going into the data center building so like really looking at innovations to uh, reduce the carbon footprint uh, of the building itself is tremendous uh, over there. Uh, the second part will be uh, the supply chain. So how we, um, like all the technologies that I mentioned, right? Uh, the energy storage, the cooling, the uh, like e-waste, these are something that we can control. But then um, when we are looking at the emissions, we, we, we're not only looking at the uh, scope one, but we are also looking at scope two and scope three. And then uh, things that we find right now, probably for most of the data center, is a little bit difficult to control with the supply chain. Like for example, uh, you get the, your chips from uh, the top, several ones, right? You have like a Micron, you have Samsung, you have Hynix and uh, the uh, TNSC. So if you get those chips, which are manufactured in the place that you actually don't have uh, like oversight over, um, how are you going to um, manage the carbon footprint or embodied carbon in those? So supply chain is one of the largest one too uh, that we're trying to get our head around it and then um, see how um, we can like, I mean, data center in general to, can can reduce that. Um, and in terms of specific technology, um, actually I think cooling is a huge one because if we can reduce like the 43% of the energy uh, going to the data center and still um, doing the same amount of compute, uh, it's already like you already have like up to like half of reduction over there. So um, yeah, so if you're looking kind of the top ones, um, thinking about all the materials and all the uh, activities going through that, right? So that's why you have the the build uh, the the building side, you have the transportation, the supply chain side, and then you also have the device side. Um, and then in each one of them, how we can reduce your carbon and uh, identify the right innovations around that. So it's a it's a huge industry, and I'm hugely excited about it. 
Yeah, it sounds that uh, there's a, a lot of opportunities to uh, to improve, make it better, or radically uh, change uh, change that as well. So, taking a little micro approach here and stepping back for for a second, uh, could you tell us, according to you, I mean, what would be eventually the U.S. advantages or, or eventually weaknesses in regard of you know the data center innovation and uh, at large and and you know putting those innovation into uh, into production and at scale uh, do you see like uh, any difference between uh, the US versus China and Europe or the, the rest of the world or do you feel that uh, uh, innovation uh, in, in production is really like uh, fostered uh, in the in the US in itself I mean what's your what's your feeling there yeah, so I think the U.S. is definitely the leader. Um, many of the technologies that you see now in LATAM and then in Africa and in many other regions is actually coming from U.S. in terms of the kind of building out the data center. So, um, yeah, I'm still very uh, optimistic. I think um, U.S. will continue to kind of be in this leading uh, side, especially like all your large generative uh, AI providers right now, majority of them are in U.S. So then you have a good... Uh, like kind of indicators of what kind of technology, uh, what kind of compute profile that you need to have uh, in the modern data center, um, because like most of your customers are actually uh, locally here. So, um, but what I think you guys will need to uh, kind of not really worry about, but uh, need to kind of look out for uh, is like the rare earth uh, model security, because um, US by definition, like we don't produce lithium, right? We don't produce many of the key uh, elements, uh, not only in data center, but also kind of in different uh, like levels, like device levels. That's why uh, we get our chips from um, from Korea, from Taiwan, et cetera. So that's something that I think we need to develop internal capability to do that. Um, but we have the right talents. We have the right supporting system. Like we have uh, national labs, we have the US government, DOE, Department, Department of Energy, um, really put a lot of efforts around it and to make sure that we have the national security around some of the most important um, areas like rare earth mo uh, models and etc. So uh, that's important. I would talk about kind of the third one, which is kind of renewable power, how to harvest energy from a renewable power. I think long duration storage is one of the key factors in how we are able to generate a much better like long duration storage uh, at the level cost, uh, a level lesser cost on par with some of the existing like um, base load or um, base stack in the power generation or utility scale. I think that's that's really important for us to get into that 100% renewable power consumption. Yeah. Thank you so much. So to close this uh, this section, kind of uh, wrap up um, the, the, the topic in itself. I mean, what would be the, the, the major constraint that you have identified to clean up uh, the data center sector in at large, including the, the end of the value chain, uh, aka e-waste, as you were uh, mentioning? I mean, do you see any major roadblocks? Uh, is it the need of maybe new policies uh, to be put in place? Uh, maybe a lack of... Uh, funding so that uh, like if innovation uh, not too much on that sense but uh, i mean what needs to happen to accelerate the movement and in which timeline do you think it sounds realistic to you uh, to reach this like uh, really like a, a minor impact that a data center could have uh, because we know uh, we all rely on them for our day-to-day -day work uh, life uh, thanks to the internet and technology so uh, they are really a center, centerpiece of the, the society today. So when do you think that the, that shift and that balance would uh, could happen? And what needs to happen there? I think it needs to happen now. Yesterday is a better day, but today uh, is, uh, yeah, it was an optimal day. So um, if you're thinking about the e-waste uh, side, we were actually um, just in the past decade, we were still like using the existing infrastructure. And that was at that time uh, state of art. Uh, but now as we retiring that infrastructure, as we kind of um, like devices are getting into the uh, kind of finish their lifeline or a lifetime uh, 
utilization. How are we going to um, be able to do that? That is actually a new topic because um, just like uh, the first generation of Tesla uh, retiring now, then you have certainly a lot of like repurposed technology and uh, battery recycling uh, providers um, coming out to help out. Um, I think similar things would happen for data center. Um, I think uh, right now is the prime time for us to start looking at how to solve the e-waste. How are we going to transition from the data center 1.0 to the greener data center 2.0? Um, and many of the technologies we can actually leverage with the existing industrial solutions. So as I mentioned, if we uh, kind of split that into different levels at the device level, at the chip level, and then at the whole kind of um, the, uh, yeah, the building materials and uh, facility level, uh, there are um, technologies that we can refer to in different industries and that we can leverage to data center. Um, yeah, but obviously data center being data center, uh, we need to have specific system integrator and um, innovation providers to uh, really help out in that end of life processing. So um, now is the right time. I said that many times and hopefully there will be a lot of innovators coming out and uh, start um, helping um, kind of um, smoothly getting to the transition uh, moving. So before we dive into uh, into the Amazon Climate Pledge Fund, uh, maybe just just last, last question on the EOS side. I mean, do you see any regulation like in place today uh, pushing in a way uh, those uh, producers who are producing those racks and all this, uh, this technology to uh, can of think of this after uh, this end of the life and try and find ways where uh, it could be built in a way that makes it easier to recycle after based on like you know the the, the experience that is uh, already starting to, uh, to 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 grow now in terms of knowledge about how to recycle uh, the different component and where uh, is it uh, is it blocking do you see any like push or trends uh, already happening forcing those uh, producers which like assemble everything together or not yet and that might be a good idea for the future yeah, so there are some like uh, different different uh, kind of minor regulations and policies here and there. Uh, but I think there's generally like you have IRA, right, Inflation Reduction Act, and really kind of focusing on and supporting uh, the uh, kind of rare earth mining and uh, like recycling. So uh, a lot of that like could be coming from uh, the secondary like repurposed batteries and repurposed devices from data center. So that's a big uh, a very big like a funding and then a pull uh, from the capital side. Uh, the other side would be um, like, I think the self-regulation because um, I think most of those big tech companies, like we all have our sustainability goal and requirements internally, like we'll look at that very dearly to our, uh, to our heart. We want to make sure that uh, we're doing things that are good for the environment. So coming from that uh, purpose, we are actually looking at um, when you're doing the recycling at the end, uh, it'll be a lot easier if you can have something like you designed for the purpose of recycling at the first place. So we have seen a lot of like new innovations around and uh, kind of solving the problems at the uh, beginning of the pipeline or at the upstream uh, stage. So basically like when you design a, a hardware device, you probably like it'll be a lot better that you already have the uh, like end of life in mind and we already see a lot of innovations and push uh here uh in the industry side thank you so much uh, phoebe super exciting and super uh, interesting to see uh, all of those uh, innovation happening and getting your insight on that point so let's go into the specific of the uh, amazon climate pledge first i mean can you tell us a bit more about the the story uh i think it's like since uh, 2021 uh if i uh, i'm not mistaken here i mean can you tell us a bit about the genesis of it uh what was the initial gap uh seen uh by the leadership team uh, that led to the the thesis behind it Absolutely. 2019, September 19. Um, so that's when Amazon started the climate pledge. So that is the um, basically we pledged that by 2040, we're going to um, be carbon net zero. And that's 10 years uh, ahead of the Paris Agreement. And our then CEO, Jeff Bezos, and then the leadership team, um, they discussed and then they once they roll out, they think this should be something that 
not Amazon, not only Amazon should pledge to it, but then also like we should welcome other operations and um, corporations and organizations to, to join us. Uh, right now, if we go to the climatepledge.com, uh, you will be able to see um, we have like over 400 signatories. Um, those include like HP, Unilever, PepsiCo, et cetera, like household names, all the way to like startups. Some of them are in our portfolio. They're also uh, climate pledge signatories. So we're basically like um, that organization is a huge sustainability organization and help push many of the initiatives forward. Separately, a year later, um, in the corporate dev, uh, corporate development team, which uh, I'm sitting in, uh, we have been thinking about if we were going to have uh, get to the net zero, we probably should not be using the current technology and current innovations. We should be looking at the more horizon three and then um, technologies that we we would be able to use to really decarbonize our own. Um, our portions. So that's where we decided to send in a proposal to talk about um, starting a fund and really focused on the climate tech innovations. And very quickly we got approval and we got $2 billion instead of the initial $1 billion that we requested. Um, and like very quickly we assembled the team, although very, very lean, we were able to um, invest in over 24 companies and really focus on like different sectors, as I mentioned, like transportation, um, manufacturing and materials, circularity, food and agriculture, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, so far, uh, we have some household names that many people have heard of, um, for example, Rivian, which is the largest bin that are driving around that would be deliver goods with zero emission. Uh, we also have zero avia, which is hydrogen for aviation, um, because many people probably don't know that we operate one of the largest uh, logistic uh, transportation uh, airlines in the crew. Um, and we also have a Redwood Materials, uh, which is um, the lithium battery, uh, lithium ion battery recycling companies. And um, they also, uh, the company is also co-funded by the previous CTO uh, of Tesla. So um, many are very exciting companies now in our portfolio and help not only us, but also our signatories to reduce their carbon footprint in their operations. So that's always a, a question from uh, from many founders. Uh, a few months ago, I'd, I'm not sure if uh, today is still the case. Uh, in a way, cash was uh, more like uh, commodities, and uh, you know, getting cash from investors was uh, uh, already super super exciting. But usually, it was like, what else do they offer? Uh, what is the value that? Uh, you as a fund can can offer and in a way not just at offering like discount and uh, and, and you know uh, code and w whatever that you could uh, could offer but it's more about like what are the problems that you see to the the companies that uh, uh, you invest in and how do you in a way support them uh, in, uh, into this uh, you know finding solution to those uh, those problems what are the extent of like the support that you can give to those uh, uh, fabulous founders that you uh, invest in we call ourselves differentiated capital. So uh, obviously the money part is something that we think startups need. But more importantly, we help the companies. Once you're in our portfolio, we actually would onboard you in our portfolio success team. And those are, company, uh, those are the team that has tremendous uh, Amazon uh, intelligence and know who you should talk to if you want to have a commercial agreement or pilot or POC with a specific PO, uh, BU, um, business units. Um, so I would take, um, yeah, I, I would take like Rivian as an example. So once we invest in them, we started like working with our internal um, transportation and uh, kind of last mile delivery team uh, and really kind of um, pan out a plan, a plan to potentially acquire a hundred thousand Rivian truck uh, for Amazon's delivery purpose. If you're a customer, uh, if you're a startup, having Amazon as a customer is a huge deal. Right, because you're building out your customer pipeline, uh, having one of the largest company being on your customer list, and then it would give you that thumbs up when you do future diligence with other investors and with other customers. That helps you tremendously. So that is one. 
And two, um, we think we are very proud of the Amazon way. We call it peculiar way of doing things and innovate. So we have things like thinking backward and two way door, one way door um, decision making process, uh, PRFAQ, which is really kind of thinking backward in terms of the product development, and then also scaling up how you best kind of scale up with very little resources. So we have developed this program called Amazonians and Residents. Um, some com companies that went through our program or in our portfolio, they're interested in learning and how to um, develop their own company from zero to one and scale up from one to a million per se. We would match them with Amazonians uh, who have um, tremendous training and Amazon's uh, scale up intelligence to, to help them. So besides data centers and all the technology that goes around that, I mean, which sector are the most promising for you today in terms of uh, what I call the ICR or impact cash returns, meaning building like impactful companies while creating highly profitable business? Do you see in your uh, current situation, like any underdogs or subsectors, areas that you are excited about? If you're thinking about um, like ESG or impact or sustainability, right? I think 10 years ago, this is a kind of new concept. Five years ago, it's a separate asset. But now and going forward, every company is going to be a climate company. Every company is going to be a sustainability company because if you're not uh, having those policies built in your company, no matter small or big, uh, you're facing the new generation of consumers, uh, which are hyper um, sensitive to your carbon footprint. Um, no company is going to survive without a sustainability policy. So I, I would kind of put it there, like climate tag and climate investor uh, is going to be kind of the mainstream uh, for not only VCs, but also for the larger ones. Now, coming to your second question, like where are the underdogs, et cetera, I think right now, um, because we talk a lot about decarbonization, uh, reduce our carbon footprint, uh, many of the technologies that we're looking at, we always have this carbon lens, which is good because like a CO2 is one of the most important um, greenhouse gas, um, we need to reduce that. But that sometimes have inevitably give us blind spots. For example, like th there's water issues, there's biodiversity issues. How are you going to solve those? I think these are things that are very, very under discussed and we, we should be able to see a lot of innovations coming out um, once we do a, like a wholesome uh, evaluation of the uh, environment. Taking the opposite uh, of the of the spectrum, what are you less interested right now? What are maybe outdated or might be more like on, on the greenwashing side of it? Uh, give us some example of things that uh, are less exciting for you guys uh, right now. Yeah, so I think uh, trying to solve a problem um, with a solution that. Uh, you, you know that sometimes it doesn't work, right? So uh, if it's a company that with an existing solution and trying to find a problem to solve and try to put a layer of climate hack, um, it's very hard for me to fund those companies because yeah, a lot of times you're chasing the hype and you know that it's uh, it's difficult to, to chase hype. So I think um, there are uh, different sectors, I think controversially, right, geoengineering, um, like I think right now um, you have also um, like even in long duration storage side, there's like um, technologies that are doesn't fall follow the uh, like a first principle um, that you know that it doesn't work, right? Uh, the your, your energy in versus your energy out. So I think uh, some of those companies and some of those technologies uh, are chasing the hype, which would be like a lot harder to get funded these days. And I would put less emphasis on those. So how do you uh, measure impact? I mean, in comparison to, you know, s s some of the, the funds out there are putting like, you know, we invest in companies that can, uh, you know, at scale, abate uh, 10 gigatons or have impact mm -hmm. in X, Y, Z. So it's not that it's too much like the, the case on your side. Uh, how is the, the weight of like 
uh, you know, impact uh, within the investment decision? Uh, do you rely on a specific framework maybe, or do you uh, have like a, a team of scientists in-house that can assess uh, those, uh, this technology? I mean, how does it work? We're looking at the sustainability and CO2 abatement. Um, so we actually look at it from different angles. So the first one, when we look at an investment, we actually look at whether they have the potential for the gigaton CO2 reduction. It's very similar to like when you, as a pure uh, institutional VC, when you invest only for the financial returns, you see whether those uh, investment will be able to return the fund. So similar to us, we want to see whether those uh, innovations will be able to uh, return the CO2 abatement at large scale if uh, the uh, the technology proved to be successful. So very similar mentality. Two is we very carefully um, curated sectors that we're focusing on, uh, which are, uh, I'm going to say again, like building and building environment, transportation, food and agriculture, circularity, manufacturing and materials, data center, nuclear and fission. These are the sectors that we are very, very uh, closely looking at to identify that this would have high impact of the CO2. And then in each of these sectors or swim lens, then we identify the um, the top players, the, the top three players and try to invest in them. Um, now, when we uh, after we invest in them, uh, we obviously kind of track how they are performing. Uh, what's the technology uh, development and commercialization uh, commercialization stage, um, and also like when we are helping them, we try to also deploy the technology internally, and we track those as well. Like how much. Um, for example, the 100,000 Rivian truck, how much they can help us to do the carbon uh, abatement. But then you also have this technology kind of um, in the scattering mode, right, in your signatories uh, and in the broader corporate and operations ecosystem. So that is a little bit difficult to, um, yeah, to gauge, um, but we are trying to do the best that we can. Um, separately, like in our climate pledge, like the our sister group, the Sustainability Org, um, they also develop like annual sustainability report and many of the data points will be reviewed over there. Um, and I think internally, obviously, Amazon is a very data-driven company. We have a lot of scientists, a PhD, uh, researchers that are putting data together and to evaluate and see how the impact is. Um, yeah, just different ways uh, from the beginning of our evaluation due diligence all the way to kind of once the companies are in you know, our portfolio, how we continue to monitor that. Yeah. What's next for uh, the Amazon Climate Pledge Fund? What's next mm -hmm. for you guys? Yeah, so I think overall, uh, we're very passionate about identifying the next uh, next field, next 10, 20, 30, or 100 companies that would help us to reduce our carbon footprint. And at the same time, really help them to commercialize their technology, have huge impact in not only Amazon, but also in our climate pledge signatories and broader society. Personally, I'm very excited about the data center piece because this is like, a, if you're looking at a generative AI, this is probably a huge uh, turning point to the mankind, how we can better support this transition from the hardware side, from the data center side. Uh, it requires a lot of um, work and effort. And uh, I think we're in the right position um, to make a huge impact um, in that space. Little question more on the, on the personal side. I mean, what would you uh, say to people who feel demoralized by all the already visible consequences of, uh, of climate change? As I always ask, like, are we doomed? Yeah, so I actually have a pretty controversial uh, thought. And I think that's probably going to be, uh, if we can um, practice that, that all have a huge impact of it. That's probably anti-development. If you're looking at the whole history uh, of the CO2 emission, uh, we are not like just know the CO2 emission now, right? A hundred years ago, there is already people writing um, books around there's going to be global warming if we continue this on uh, the speed of our development in our CO2 emission. Um, but nothing has changed. Uh, even like in the past few years that uh, climate tech issues and sustainability issues has been in the top minds of uh, the government leaders, the corporate innovators. But still, like if you, um, very simple, if you just go to the EIA, um, to their 
chart, um, kind of if you look at the uh, the amount of energy that we consume and see the amount of energy actually coming from fossil fuel versus renewable, it's actually we are still on the uptrend and then the, the consumption and kind of the composition did not change that much. Um, and it only has kind of uh, two huge dent. The first huge dent are through economy recessions. So 2008, uh, 2000 bubble, and then um, 2015, 2016, um, the, those recessions actually reduce a lot in the carbon emission because people travel less, people um, consume less. And yeah, um, so inevitably like we uh, have less uh, CO2 emission. The second big dent is the COVID. So COVID period, we see a reduction in the CO2 emission because Again, people travel less and people consume less. So I think ultimately, if we really want to make something workable, um, every one of us have a huge responsibility of cutting off uh, and scaling back our consumptions. Um, so I think that's uh, a general uh, calling that I have. Um, at home, we use a lot of like uh, recycled things. Like we typically don't throw away our clothes, we like my mom would make like re reusable bags out of it uh, and try to find hobbies that doesn't consume too much. I think it'll be good to have like carbon intensity of different hobbies and different things and try to gear towards uh, things that you can uh, really work on without too much carbon emission. And I mean, the climate change has been coming, right? We have seen so much climate difference uh, or climate change, whether it's like the wildfire in California, the huge winter in California where it never snowed, it snowed a lot. Um, and then to all the way to recent smog and uh, New York City, like people cannot breathe because the um, the PM 2.5 has been like shooting into the roof. So things are, things are changing, things are coming and we all have our next generations and we want to leave the earth um, in the same, if not better, situation to to them. So I would strongly urge people to, um, yeah, to reduce the consumption. And obviously, innovation is very important. That's where we are, um, like thriving too. But I think reducing consumption and really watch out for the carbon footprint is something that everyone can do to make an impact. Yeah, sometimes it's uh, not easy to reduce consumption uh, uh, if you know everything is. Uh accessible so fast and uh, delivered in a, in, a, in, a, in a second at, uh, at your door. But uh, uh, definitely, I think uh, there's uh, this, uh, you know, paradigm of like uh, reducing uh, consumption, consuming uh, probably uh, in a smarter way uh, and uh, putting together like uh, uh, different circularity, uh, you know, uh, process in place to, uh, to help that. But thank you so much for sharing your, uh, your thought here uh, on your personal uh, opinion. So how can the community of uh, expert investors and uh, uh, founders around the world can uh, help you? Yes, please. So um, I'm pretty active in my LinkedIn. So definitely like check out the LinkedIn. Our fund also have our LinkedIn page launched. So definitely kind of connect with both um, myself and then the Climate Pledge Fund. Uh, we also have uh, a lot of different kind of activities with uh, Amazon. So for example, we have uh, calling for innovations from uh, like different accelerators organized by AWS and Amazon. Uh, I would highly recommend companies check out those programs uh, if you're early stage. If you're a later stage, definitely reach out to us if you're in the same um, or the sectors that I have mentioned. And if you believe that your innovations can change the world, uh, I'm here with my team uh, looking forward to hear from you. Any question I should have uh, asked you that I did not for this uh, first part of the of the show? Um, so I think advice to entrepreneurs would be like, you're solving such an important problem, but sometimes you're going to get a lot of no's when you go for whether fundraising or uh, securing your customer. Just be very persistent and be uh, like have the severance and tenacity, knowing that you only need one yes. So even if you're facing 100 no's, 1,000 no's, if you think this technology is something that you have strong conviction, you have passion around it, uh, and obviously great, uh, great technology with a great moat, you should definitely push forward and um, be persistent. Thank you so much, uh, Phoebe, for uh, your time. Incredible insight on the uh, in the industry. I mean, I'm so excited to see so many uh, brilliant uh, people like you and, and and women like putting so much time and effort uh, to move the, the ball towards a, a better and cleaner world. So thank you so much for joining us tonight.
Thank you so much for having me. It was my pleasure, and hopefully, I like it. We all, we all see each other more. Yeah. Thanks again for joining us on the Tech for Climate podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. Stay tuned next week for more climate tech insights. In the meantime, head on over to our webpage at startupbasecamp.org, where we have lots more insights and resources for anyone wanting to get involved in climate tech. If you find our resources useful, please consider donating to support our small self-funded team. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends and see you next time.